0: This is the Cato Daily podcast for Tuesday, April 12, 2016, and Caleb Brown. BitLicense was a first of its kind cryptocurrency regulation framework in New York State. Dana Syracuse is former associate general counsel in the New York Department of Financial Services, which helped develop that license. Peter Van Valkenburgh is director of research at Coin Center. We spoke about BitLicense during Cato's conference on cryptocurrencies held today. Who brought Bitcoin to the attention of state and federal regulators? Was it people who were con- who were operating within Bitcoin and wanted to know when the feds or states might uh, clamp down on them or was it the federal government saying we need to – or the governments saying we need to do something here?
1: So in, in New York, it was uh, in the summer of 2013, um, New York State Department of Financial Services is the regulator of uh, money transmitters in that state. And we started receiving letters uh, from existing money transmitters saying there's this technology out there. There's this thing called Bitcoin. Is it money? Is it, un- is it regulated under existing uh, money transmission statute- statutes? What should we do? And at the same time, um, we started talking with um, other uh, virtual currency companies. And that was kind of the the launch of – the inquiry for New York, which led to uh, two-day hearings, uh, led to numerous meetings uh, with industry, with academics, with, with various stakeholders, uh, with investors in the space, uh, and two different drafts uh, of the Bit License, which was the first virtual currency uh, regulation uh, to go live. Uh, I think we received something like 3,700 comments. Uh, of which I read them all with the the, <laughs> the group that I was with. We read them all, um, and, and you know I think that that was a superb process. Uh, I think that that process led to a more refined regulation.
2: And then at the federal level, um, I think you had maybe more of a. It was it was the uh, it was the regulator coming to a realization that they needed to cover this activity or some activities using this technology rather than it being asked of them from any, any individual out there. FinCEN really led the way in 2013. They issued guidance which, which uh, clarified how the Bank Secrecy Act, which is our financial surveillance law, applies to businesses that are using Bitcoin as opposed to using dollars. Do you need to know your customer? Do you need to uh, file suspicious activity reports or currency transaction reports for amounts over $10,000 in value? Um, When are you actually doing something that's akin to money transmission, which is typically the trigger for Bank secrecy act uh, application and when are you doing something that's actually not money transmission when you're doing any of the various things you can do using Bitcoin and what the guidance said is basically if you're an exchanger so if you're if you're taking in dollars and you're selling people bitcoins or buying their bitcoins and giving them dollars that activity is definitely money transmission you're going to need to do kyc you're going to need to do suspicious activity reporting. And it also seemed to apply, although it's a confusing uh, document in some ways, although probably the best you can do so early on with a new technology, it seems as though it also applies to people who are hosted wallets, people who hold people's bitcoins for them and don't necessarily... Uh, exchange, although there aren't too many companies like that. So it was really the exchanges that were put on notice in that 2013 guidance.
0: So what has been the response from people who are working in Bitcoin to try to develop new applications uh, for uh, that product to the New York regulations?
1: So I I, I think the important um, thing about where state-level regulation is right now is it only regulates a very confined universe of, uh, similar to the federal level, exchangers, uh, wallet companies, transmitters. What remains unregulated and what should remain unregulated um, are companies that are acting as software providers, uh, companies that are looking to leverage the blockchain technology uh, and do other things with it.
2: Yeah, and I think the hardest part of drafting any any uh, legislation or regulation is always – describe. it's always the definitions. We always end up doing plenty of policy in the definitions and very little policy actually in the requirements once you are defined as a covered entity. So I think when the bit license came out, there was a widespread feeling within in- the innovative community – of companies and individuals, that they had no idea whether they were covered or not. Um, The definition had sort of this 4 prong sort of monster of a test for whether you were effectively a money transmitter with Bitcoin. It involved a lot of metaphorical terms, things like storing, holding, uh, maintaining custody or control, uh, administering, controlling, all of these verbs. And I I mean, we're in favor, certainly, of activities-based regulation, it should be shouldn't be, oh, you have Bitcoin branding, so you're you're XYZ regulating. It's, oh, you're actually exchanging. But to people who are actually working with the technology, it was, I think, very unclear what controlling or maintaining custody meant in the Bitcoin space. And this this gets to what Dana was just saying, where you have companies that they do nothing but write software, but the software helps users control or have custody over their own Bitcoin. Are you, as a software provider, then a money transmitter?
1: I, I think that this is also where um, you need to when you're when you're drafting one of these regulations, you really need to need to have precision in the language. Uh, you know, the bit license and other regulations use terms like custody or control. when when really what it is about is uh, you know what kind of access do you have to the credentials that can be used? To move virtual currency. Does
0: Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general and blockchain technology uh, threaten or reveal problems within current regulation of other related industries?
2: I mean, I, I don't know if it threatens or reveals problems. It, it comes at those problems with different solutions. And that's what makes Bitcoin, I think, so fascinating. And it's also what makes it difficult to figure out the regulation of. So this question of, I hold somebody's money for them, I'm a bank, a depository institution, or I'm moving it for them, I'm a money transmitter like Western Union, how do we make sure that at the end of the day, when the music stops, there isn't a chair missing and that missing chair is the customer's funds? How do we make sure that, that these companies are solvent? Bitcoin gets at that problem in a different way because it creates a digital bearer instrument. And that digital bearer instrument, you can help an individual hold their own rather than holding it for them. With other forms of electronic money like PayPal, like what Western Union actually moves, uh, what, what banks move when they do wire transfers, you have a succession of institutions who hold some quantity of dollars in trust. And they do that really just by making marks on a ledger that they control. And when they send it to someone else, they say, hey, go make the other marks on your ledger to match up with ours, now that we've deducted from the customer's account and are crediting your intermediary bank account, and then the intermediary bank does the same to the destination bank, to the same to the customer. So that's one way of very complicated record keeping to try and make sure that there's always the always balance out at the end of the day that there's always money there for the people who it is legally um, belonging to. Bitcoin um, allows an individual to actually just directly hold because there's just one ledger. There aren't three. And because you can directly hold because you have your own account on this a permissionless ledger, you can be assured that you have it so long as you have basically the equivalent of a password. So it's a different way of getting at the solvency question. I know I have it because I can see it on the global ledger that's publicly auditable that everyone can see, and I am the only person with the matching uh, credential. And then similarly, if you're, if you're not technologically sophisticated, you're worried about losing your own money just as you might lose your wallet, you can go to a company. And the company will say, we'll help secure this for you. And at that, at that point, it's not, it's not like a bank either, per se, because there aren't these multiple redundant ledgers. It's really more like a safe deposit box, like that you've contracted for a bank for. I have these keys. I'd like to put them in this box. Please keep them safe for me. It's like a bailment from the common law.
1: Well, it, it's the financial intermediaries that you're regulating. I, I think one thing that, that's crucial is the notion that we're not regulating Bitcoin. Bitcoin is is unregulated and, and and you know all Bitcoin is is the first kind of implementation of the blockchain technology it's the first use case and with regard to Bitcoin we're only all that's regulated right now are those who are providing financial services or products which is exactly what uh, what Peter just described
2: which are the people who actually hold things for correct uh, as opposed to Someone who's just facilitating your access to, soft, to to a network of settlement, basically a public network.
1: Or, or the individual use case, you know, individuals that, that use or accept Bitcoin. So for
0: both of you, uh, and we'll close with this, you both are under time constraints. Um, you know, in 40 words or less, what do you think to be the most positive potential change that could be fostered by cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain technology?
2: Really, it, it it's probably the privacy-protecting aspects of the technology that are really exciting. So right now, when we use uh, institutions to be our intermediaries for everything, they collect masses of data on us. And that, that data is incredibly powerful, and we don't realize it. We walk around with uh, a, a phone in our pocket that tracks our location, that records everything we do, And it's all going to Google or it's all going to the iCloud or it's all going to a company that has then a lot of leverage over us for various purposes. Um, Bitcoin is great in the way that the Internet is great in that it provides people the ability to actually maintain some level of privacy and dignity and the ability to actually transact uh, without suddenly revealing a whole host of information about yourself.
1: Yeah, for, for, for Bitcoin, I, th- I think it has incredible applications uh, for the unbanked and the underbanked and bringing them into the financial fold. Uh, I think for the larger blockchain right now, I, I, I'm excited uh, about the idea around individual ownership of, of one's data and not just giving that away. But I think the, in truth, we really don't know. We, we don't know what that exciting use case is going to be because people are still trying to figure out how to leverage the technology.
0: Dana Syracuse is former associate general counsel in the New York Department of Financial Services. And Peter Van Valkenburgh is director of research at Coin Center. Watch or listen to the full cryptocurrency conference at our website, cato.org.